You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Well, hello, and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I want to reflect a little bit on encouragement. Now, I wrote my first book because I was encouraged to do so by people who followed a travel blog I used to write. And, you know, I was a guy, I was always able to find humor in pretty mundane situations and traveling for business as often as I used to travel for business anyway, could be mundane at times. I mean, it's a bit like Groundhog Day. And, um, you know, I, I used to take the time when I was on planes or in hotel rooms to actually, you know, put together some some reflections or anecdotes on, on things I saw during the day or on the flight, in the airport, et cetera. And, and people, you know, they, they really liked what I was writing and they encouraged me. They used to say things like, hey, you know, when are you going to write a book about this? Or when are you going to you know, write a book about your experiences? And, you know, one time I actually did have a literary agent say to me that funny is money. So I said, okay, well, I like money um, <laughs> and I like to write. So I did put pen to paper. I started writing what became Return to Casa Grande. And throughout that whole process, I needed encouragement. You know, I needed encouragement to get me started and to keep going. And then, you know, now seven novels later, I'm encouraged to keep writing by, you know, people who I would consider fans, um, you know, who asked me, you know, when's the new book coming out? That's a question I get, you know, at least once a year by somebody. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so two years ago this January, so coming up on my two-year anniversary in comedy, um, I started doing open mic at Comedy Nights, um, open mic comedy nights at a place called The Stress Factory in Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is a great comedy club. And as a writer of novels, you know, it, it think about it, it takes a long time to get a reaction to something you've written. You know, you write a story, then you rewrite it, then you rewrite it again, then you hire an editor who has you rewrite it again. <laughs> so by the time it's available for sale, you know, at least a year has passed. And by the time somebody who doesn't know you has read it and, you know, posted a review on it, you're, you're looking at maybe 16 months, you know, having gone by. With stand-up comedy, though, that, that feedback is immediate. You know, either the audience laughs or they don't. Or worse, they just talk over your set. Um, laughter, in this case, is the encouragement to keep um, getting up and, and doing it again. And I found that I got a tremendous amount of satisfaction by, by having that almost immediate validation that something I wrote was funny. Now, last year, I actually spoke with Pat Oates, who's a great stand-up comic based in Connecticut. He's a professional. He does this for a living. And um, you know, he talked about his first time and the encouragement that he got from a friend. Have a listen to this. When I first was hanging out with a buddy of mine that I've known since college, we were just hanging out one day and he said, let's go to this bar and just get some wings and you know, go there. And we went there and they were having a comedy contest in Naugatuck, Connecticut. It's a small bar. It was called Melissa's. Uh, we went there just to have wings and stuff. I did not know there was a local comedy contest going on. I also did not know that he signed me up for it. So 
we sat in the audience. The They had four contestants they announced before. One of them – actually, there, there was three judges – the owner of the bar, the owner's father, and a girl they were both trying to sleep with. And they were the three judges. And they sat at a table behind the stage like they were American Idol judges. And they were going to decide who won $100 for the comedy contest. It was a guy who just lost his job who looked like Joe Pesci. And he uh, he lost his painting job. So he needed $100 to pay off some bill or something. And he, he needed it bad. And all he did was like bad impressions of like Rodney Dangerfield. But he would have to say Rodney Dangerfield after because it was so bad you didn't know who it was. The second contestant was a magician who was trying to do card tricks in front of a drunk audience on a Friday night in Naugatuck, Connecticut. He was doing his cards, and someone and someone made fun of him, and he yelled, he threw the cards at them and just said, 52-card pickup, mother effer, and just, boom, hit him right in the face. <laughs> and so the third guy was actually the fry cook from the restaurant, and they had to t- tell everyone to stop ordering wings and tenders for a little bit so he could come up and perform with apron, look with grease on him, and actually didn't do bad. They're like SpongeBob jokes about being a fry cook. It wasn't bad. And they said, we have one more contestant. And they said, uh, they read the name, they went, Pat Oates. I looked at my friend, and he goes, you know you can do this. I walked up. I made fun of the three judges. I made fun of the people in the room. I made fun of Naugatuck, Connecticut. How there's that weird smell on Route 8. No one knows what it is. I made everything going on, and I won $100. And um, when it was over, my friend looked at me and said, you're funnier than three people. That's a start. Right. And right there, I got the bug. So that's Pat's story. He got, you know, bitten by the comedy bug because a friend of his encouraged him to do a little comedy contest at a bar. And and he he was, you know, I'm sure he was the funniest one up there. I can't imagine anyone upstaging the great Pat Oates. You know, and another thing about Pat is he's actually a great resource uh, to up-and-coming comics. Um, he's very encouraging to young comics. He, uh, he does have a, a great book out. Um, it's called How Not to Suck at Comedy. So if, uh, if you're an inspiring comic or, or you know someone, um, you know, pick that up for them. They'd, uh, they'd get a lot out of it. So uh, going back to my own experiences with comedy, my brother Jimmy, who I've mentioned I know many times before on this podcast, has probably been the best source of encouragement for me when it, when it comes to comedy. You know, as a young comic, and not that I'm young age-wise, I'm 46. You know, I, I'm, I could be the parent of most of the people, you know, I quote-unquote started out with. And in fact, one guy, Nick Scopoletti, Nick Scopes, refers to me as his dad all the time whenever he brings me up on stage. It's kind of funny. Anyway, as a young comic, uh, you've got to pay your dues. You know, you've got to pay to play. You've got to, and that means really you, you just got to bring the audience. You know, you bring the audience to the club. You've got to bring, you know, five, six people, whatever the number is. And in, in exchange um, for for that, you know, they come in, they buy drinks and food and all that, and they buy their ticket if it's that kind of show. Um, in exchange, you get stage time. That's that's pretty much how it works. You know, in my brother's case, he buys a lot of drinks, which is nice. Uh, and everyone's happy. I mean, I, I most everyone's happy. The comics typically aren't aren't happy. Most comics actually are not happy people, which I've I've come to realize. And and that's actually a topic for uh, for another time. But when I say that Jimmy encourages me, he doesn't just do that by his words. He he does it by his deeds. He does it by his actions. You know, he's always always comes to the shows. You know, he always brings friends with him. And, and I'm thinking of you, you know, Kelly, K-Dog, and, and Cliff, the dark one. You know who you are. So, yeah, that encouragement, you know, it can come in the form of words. But when it comes in the form of action, it's actually all the more powerful. And, you know, incidentally, I can't wait until, you know, COVID is in the rearview mirror and, and I can start performing again because I'm really itching to do so. I know I know there are people doing shows out there, but uh, I'm holding off just, just to be safe. Got to be safe. 
Um, so getting back to encouragement, you know, I really do think that you know, people say that the greatest gift you can give someone is the gift of your time. And I really do believe that. But but giving the gift of encouragement has got to be got to be a close second, right? Encouraging someone else got to be a close second to giving your time. And I guess in a way it is it is uh, kind of, uh, you know, a subtask of, of giving time. Listen to me, subtask, like going into project management speaker. So so here's here's the one big question I want you to ask yourself. Who is in my corner? Who is in my corner? Have you surrounded yourself with people who encourage you? Or are there people in your life who, who bring you down? Or worse yet, are ambivalent about the things you want to pursue? In many ways, I think that ambivalence, you know, just not caring, um, is actually worse than, than, you know, kind of putting you down. Because at least people who put you down might might take the time to listen to, to what you have to say and provide an opinion. But uh, people who are ambivalent, well... You know, that's a, I think that's a bigger problem, but, but, but don't get me wrong here. You know, having people who encourage you is not synonymous with having people who just tell you what you want to hear because that won't do you any good. That that doesn't do anybody any good. Having, you know, encouragement is about having people who support you in your endeavors because they find joy in seeing you grow and seeing you succeed. Now, of course, you know, we, we all have people in our lives or, or maybe you don't. I know, I know that. You know, I've come across people, let's say, in my life who, who just don't have that encouragement gene. You know, and, and I don't mean to suggest that they're bad people. That That's not it at all. But for whatever reason, they just can't find, they can never find the right words to say or to take an action that will be seen as encouraging to others. You know, and I think these people are actually worst case scenario type people. You know, for example, when some kind of negative thing comes along, these are the people who will always, you know, have that knee jerk reaction and say that the sky is falling. Run for your lives! Everyone run for cover! SOS! Mayday! Mayday! Code red! Duck and cover! Well, there you have the great Zach Braff as Chicken Little. Uh, but these are people who, who they, they never see the glass as being half full. You know, they succumb to fear. And, and I think that it, it really is fear that's at the root of why they have a hard time encouraging others. You know, if you think about it, when you encourage someone else, you're making a commitment to them that you will stand behind them. You know, you're going to be in their corner. But but what if that doesn't work out? You know, what, what if that other person fails? What if the person I'm encouraging fails and falls in their face? Am I responsible for their failure because I encourage them? You know, maybe that's the thinking that, you know, subconsciously, you know, has has people avoid, you know, taking that risk to encourage someone. Um, you know, these are people who just, you know, also maybe maybe they also just have a tendency to make everything about them. You know, I, I don't know. Anyways, a father, I, I feel responsible for encouraging my children, you know, especially as they're in college, because, you know, I know that the, the decisions they're making now are going to have a tremendous impact on their lives. You know, while, while doing so, I, I try and lean on some of the mistakes I've made during that period of time in my life. You know, I try to turn them into lessons, you know, whether it was my hesitation to study abroad, which is something I never did. And I kind of look back on with a little bit of regret now. Or maybe it was my myopic focus, you know, in, in the social clubs I was a part of. You know, I didn't do much outside of the Kappa Sigma fraternity, but you know, God knows there were a lot of other clubs that I, I could have explored and joined and and kind of grown as a person by by my participation in these things. You know, maybe it was, you know, my not following through with certain career aspirations I had. You know, I I I feel the need to encourage my kids to take this time and live, you know, to try new things, to explore the world because you know, I didn't do that enough when I was their age. And, and as a 46-year-old with four additional mouths to feed, and we can make that six if you want to count the two dogs, you know, my, my time for, you know, exploration now is really limited. 
You know, so the way I see it, when, when encouraging others, we'd be wise to lean on our own personal experiences and the wisdom we've gained by living. Now, this motivation to, to do this, you know, comes from something that's quite selfless, you know, which is the desire to see other people make good choices you know, that will be fulfilling to them in the long run. And it also comes from maybe a simpler desire, which is just to see, you know, someone else happy, just to see someone else thrive. You know, if I go back to those negative Nancys that I was referring to earlier, you know, maybe that's where their blockage is, you know, maybe for reasons they don't fully understand, you know, deep down inside, they're just not happy people or they haven't learned how to find joy in their lives. And if my hypothesis about them have a, having a tendency to kind of make everything about them has any merit, then it makes sense, you know, because what do they get out of doing something selfless? You know, as a result, they have a hard time encouraging others and lifting them up because they don't, you know, frankly, get anything out of it. You know, as my friend Greg Alpern would say, I don't know. I'm not Columbo. Oh, oh one more thing before I forget. Well, listen, there's one more thing. Uh... Oh. What, something else? I don't know what's the matter with me. Uh, one other thing, uh, the angle of the bullet. I'll say I defy you to find a better cop show than Columbo. It's just the best detective show ever made. You know, they, they broke the rules. They, they really did. The audience knows who does it within the first two minutes. There's no mystery to the audience. The magic is seeing Columbo unfold the mystery. Um, anyway, thank you for that digression. <laughs> I've told you a little bit about you know people who encourage me, but, but I want to talk to you about some people who I try to encourage. You know, this would be, of course, in addition to, to my children. I talked about that before. You know, there's three I have in mind, and the first two are my mother and father. So this pandemic has been very hard on them, and I know it's been very hard on all of us, but but they live 1,500 miles away in Florida, and they're very high risk because of their advanced age. You know, dad is 88, mom is 87. They've got pre-existing conditions. Dad has COPD. You know, it's it's if, if he got COVID, it would not be a great thing. Um, and on top of that, you know, my father has had some other, you know, significant health issues recently, including a blood infection and spinal stenosis, which really have both taken a toll on his mobility. And throughout his entire life, you know, he'll, he'll be the first to tell you that he never took a sick day in the 43 plus years he spent with American Express. Yeah, you know, he was a very healthy guy. And, and it was really, you know, not up until this year where his activities were, were kind of limited because of health. And uh, his, his favorite activity, of course, is taking all of his friends' money on the golf course. Um, you know, that, that uh, he, he's a very, very a good golfer, uh, even at his age now. He was, uh, he was shooting below his age uh, up until this year. I'm very proud of him for that. Anyway, the, the, the downturn in his health, of course, has, has taken a toll on him emotionally, and he gets down in the dumps a lot. And I know he, feel ba- he, he feels bad about it because he's always apologizing to me, which he really doesn't have to do. You know, I completely understand the emotional toll that that poor health has on people. So, you know, I, I find myself having to encourage him with with either little notes. I send him text messages, uh, different points during the day. I'll send him a small gift, like a book in the mail. The man loves to read, so I'll send him a gift. And of course, you know, I, I call them almost every day, almost every day. So we we do talk a lot. But you know, this 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 toll on my dad also takes a toll on my mom. You know, it impacts her. She's she's in good physical health, but. You know, she's got some short-term memory issues, and, and she could not live independently without my father. So when he's down or is experiencing a, some kind of a physical limitation, it impacts her. You know, for one, she, she might have to rely on an aide or, you know, someone else, you know, when my dad can't help her. 
Um, and, and, and the other way it impacts her is, you know, of course, you know, she's been married to my dad for 63 years, I want to say. So seeing someone you love and care about and declining health, you know, take, takes a toll. So, you know, I, I find that I have to be kind of like a cheerleader to my mom as well. But there's a, you know, a third person who I find needs um, some encouragement and support. And, and that's really, you know, one of my oldest friends, uh, Chris Hart. So Chris has been a friend of mine ever since fourth grade. I moved to Connecticut in fourth grade. He changed schools. So we were kind of the new kids in, in a school. And uh, we, we kind of bonded over that. And, and he, of course, became good friends with my brother. And, and we, we've, we've been good friends, you know, for, for a very, very long time. And, um, you know, he's, he's facing some significant health challenges right now. And, and just to put it short, he needs a liver transplant. And uh, I'm going to um, just, just share with you his story a little bit. Um, you know, Christopher Hart is a man who spent 25 years in Boston after graduating from the University of Connecticut. He was always very civic minded. He volunteered his time and energy with the Franciscan Children's Hospital, also helped uh, victims of Hurricane Katrina and the Special Olympics. And he started, you know, helping with the Special Olympics from high school well until adulthood. Now, Chris was diagnosed with heptic cell carcinoma, uh, which is uh, liver cancer. I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, it's liver cancer. Um, <laughs> no, I know how to pronounce liver cancer. Uh, hepatic. I don't know. I'm not good with these medical terms. Anyway, Chris has liver cancer. He, he was diagnosed in 2017 and his first uh, chemo treatment put him into a coma for several days and, and that sparked a cardiac condition. And then he went into remission and then continued to run some of our uh, beloved Boston venues this is actually written by, I want to say this up front, uh, I, I am borrowing these words from his fiance, Aaron. Uh, they live together up in Boston. Um, he ran some uh, beloved Boston venues such as a general manager and director of operations, but the cancer came back uh, fiercely one year later, and he's been on daily chemo treatment since then, in addition to over a dozen different prescriptions uh, a day. And to try and seek all potential medical options, treatments, and possible drug trials, Chris and, and Aaron moved to the D.C. area in the summer of 2019, as there are so many case-specific specialty hospitals and uh, institutions there. Um, there were more options available to him uh, than there were in Boston, so they picked up and moved. But unfortunately, you know, the, the cost of the relocation, his insurance and out-of-pocket cost uh, for, for treatment has become astronomical, and, and the two of them, Chris and Aaron, have drained their savings to try and keep him alive. Now, Aaron got him listed on the transplant list at Georgetown University Hospital back in August. And, you know, since then, he's been, you know, um, put onto uh, the extended criteria list as, as you know, it, it pains me to say this, but he's dying at a rapid rate of speed and requires Aaron to be his unpaid caregiver. She's unable to work as he needs 24-hour care for everything from rem remembering his medication uh, to meals and transportation as he can no longer drive and he's had to sell his car back in March. Now, just as, as context, Chris and Aaron both uh, work in the hospitality industry. And as, as you probably know, that industry has been decimated by uh, restrictions around COVID-19. So neither one of them uh, could really work. You know, even if Chris were healthy, he'd have a hard time uh, making a living. Uh, sadly, uh, I, I want to tell you that cancer runs in his family and it claimed the life of his younger sister, Kim, who was a friend of mine. Uh, Kim and I had, had a very nice friendship over the years, and um, you know I could I could go on and on about her story. But uh, six years ago, she did pass away of brain cancer, and you know any, anyone who could have any empathy for their parents, you know Chris and Kim's parents, um, 
you know, it's just the thought of, you know, I'm a father of three, you know, the thought of burying a child, let alone both of your children. Um, I, I can't even imagine. Um, I can't even imagine having to do that. But, um, you know, what we want to do is, is have them, you know, not have to bury their son. Um, they've already buried uh, Kim. I, we don't want them to bury Chris as well. Uh, we want to have them be able to see their son get healthier and have the chance to live a happy and productive life. You know, um, going back to, you know, all those things he, he used to do as a contributing member of society, you know, um, they, they, they didn't have that opportunity with Kim because she passed away. Um, and she passed away way too young. Um, so there's, there's a sense of, you know, sense of urgency and compassion here. Um, Chris is a guy who wants the chance to live he wants to pay it forward, and if given the ability to afford the opportunity to receive the gift of a new limmer, liver, uh, he won't take anything for granted. So, you know, one of the things that I'm kind of getting to here, very long-winded way of doing it, by the way, um, not that I need to, to tell you that, your, your ears just told you that. Um, yeah, his his finances and, and, and Aaron's finances have been drained. Um, you know, they can't work. Uh, they, they spent a lot of their own savings, uh, moving from Boston to, to DC and, um, just, you know, just the expenses of, of his daily medications alone, um, is a drain. You know, he has to have, uh, MRIs and, uh, you know, an MRI out of pocket can cost like upwards of 2000 bucks. Um, you know, it's, it's not, um, it's not pretty. So what, what my brother and I have done is put together a, a GoFundMe campaign to help offset the cost of his treatment. So yes, we are, of course, trying to encourage him to keep his spirits up, um, but we also uh, want to kind of reduce some of the burden and stress that he and Aaron are facing. So uh, if you can help out, um, you know, please visit the GoFundMe link on this post and, and make a donation. So thank you. Thank you for that. Um, now, three things you can take away from this episode, okay? I always like to end, end these things with, with three things you can take away. Number one, ask yourself who's in your corner. If you surround yourself with people who encourage you, you'll find the motivation to pursue your interests and, you know, who knows, maybe do some great things. But conversely, you know, if you have people in your life who make everything about them, it's, it's time to really make some decisions about the role they will continue to play in your life. You know, you might have to have some hard conversations. Um, and number two, providing encouragement really is the gift that keeps on giving. Clark, that's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. Well, thanks for that reminder, Cousin Eddie. But, but providing encouragement doesn't cost you anything, and, and it can make a tremendous impact on someone's life. You know, I'm sure that if you look around, there are people in your life who could use the gift of encouragement. So please consider giving it. And finally, number three. Remember, encouragement can come in the form of verbal support, but it, it's most meaningful when there's actions behind it. So don't just tell somebody that you encourage them to do X, Y, or Z, but, but find a way to show your support. You know, if your friend is a musician, go to their shows or their open mic nights. You know, same thing with comedians. If they want to be a writer, show your support by, by asking questions about their work and, and maybe even asking uh, to read their work. That's a, a great way of showing some support. Now, really, the possibilities to show your support are actually quite endless. Now, lastly, you know, as always, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Uncorking a Story. And if you liked what you heard, you know, please consider subscribing on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, consider sharing it with a friend. Lastly, as I always do, because I'm a writer and a novelist, I need to remind you that books 
make great gifts. Thanks for listening.